What is up, everybody? It is episode 54 of Party of Slave Podcast. It is Anthony here. I'm joined by the one, I guess it's one and two, one and two only, Tony and Nate. What's going on, fellas? I look forward to this every week. Just sit here with you guys and, and nerd out on some cool stuff. We got some cool stuff tonight. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. How are you, Anthony? <laughs> Very formal. Uh, no, I'm doing great, man. I, I don't watch like TV series in real time. Like, you know how people like kind of base their lives around sitting down on like a Tuesday to watch a show. I don't do that. I do this. This is what I do. Mm-hmm. This is what yep. we do. Definitely. I'm, I'm all in on this. Uh, um, especially now it's streaming. I can catch up on it tomorrow or the next day. I'd rather nerd with you guys. The show must go on. So, uh, yeah, check us out on speaking of that. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, the show, oh. the shows. All right, go ahead. Give the socials first. Then we'll talk about shows. <laughs> Yeah, social media. You guys ever hear of it? Social media, we're on all those platforms, at Patio Slave, Twitter and Instagram. And uh, we always we always plug the emails. We love getting those. The special packages, gift wrapped on your doorstep. We'll take them in digital form. Patio Slave Podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up there. What else are we on? Are we on anything else? www.patioslave.com. And you can get links to um, any specific way you want to listen to the podcast or if you're feeling kind of like i want a little visual with my with my uh podcast you can go to youtube our youtube link is there and we have everything either cut up into bite-sized forms or the entire episode so with some visual and i've gotten a little better at that as, as time has gone on here i've added some dissolves and stuff like that i was that. gonna say it, it looks cool your boy you're being so modest you're being modest man those are fucking money so <laughs> good anything that's it's like almost like you got the uh, visual like google the Google ads, like, you know what everyone's thinking. Yep. And that boom, that image just pops up on that screen. It's got it dialed. I'd, I'd love to know what that ticket stub looks like. Boom. There it oh, is. Wait, there it is. <laughs> boom. How you like that? Yeah, we're everywhere. We're all over the internet. Like the fact that if you can't find us on the internet, I'm not sure what, where you live or what, what rock you're under. Yeah. Twitter, YouTube, YouTube, Apple music. Yeah. We're Spotify. Spotify sometimes when I feel yeah. like it. <laughs> Looking at you, Spotify. No, we 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 can we can we're all over Spotify too, playlists and podcasts and all that stuff. So, all right, we're gonna jump into the set list. We got a couple items that piqued our interest this week. Yeah, so you said the show must go the on. Shows. What, what were you talking yeah. about? Corey Taylor announced the CMF tour. It's Corey motherfucking tour or something, I guess. Uh, is is coming to a Texas near you? Pretty much, it's like four Texas states, five Texas states uh, in May, late May, which is nuts. And it's not just Texas; it's kind of. Jeez, it's it's a bunch of places, Texas and Arizona, I think, and uh, Tennessee, Illinois, a couple in Illinois. Yeah, he's all over Iowa, like Midwest, a lot of Midwest states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's quick, man. That's two months away, right? Is it? It's not solo. It's like him and his backing band. Yeah, and the Cherry Bombs plus special guest, the Cherry Bombs. Cherry Bombs. That's his wife, actually. His wife's performing act i don't even know if it's a band i think it's more of like a stage act like a las vegas type thing that's cool though yeah so two months away i gotta believe it's been in the works they've been just it's been in the hopper and they've just been waiting for things to ease up a little bit and now that seems uh, things seem to be turning the corner so it's probably like all right let's let's announce it and that's the thing is like everyone's pent up they don't need a lot of runway i feel like like we've been saying like people want music we looked at the data last week of people hanging onto their tickets and people saying they're going to go to more shows. All those will sell out, and there were guidelines too, right? COVID All guidelines. kinds of guidelines. Yeah, they're uh, 
regardless of state guidelines. So I guess I'm looking at you, Texas. <laughs> COVID health protocols shall be strictly enforced by purchaser for all employees, patrons, artists, everything like that. So they're going to have to wear a mask, especially when they're not in their pod. Now, it sounds like they're going to have their own pod. So whoever they're there with in that spot, they can take their mask off, hang out, drink, whatever, uh, enjoy themselves at the show. But as soon as they have to go to the bathroom or want to go get merch, you're putting that mask on and walking to wherever you got to go. But And even in Texas where they're saying – you don't have to do that. So that's interesting. Uh, they're doing temperature checks too, it looks like. Pretty pretty crazy. Uh, imagine having to get your, your forehead temperature checked to go to a concert. That's kind of nuts though, right? Yeah, it's not too far-fetched though. I mean, it's been done. I go to the dentist, right? They do it there. Mm-hmm. It just made me think with this, like there was clearly, like you said, Tuan, a tour booked probably to coincide with the solo album that Corey Taylor dropped. Yeah. But I just wonder like what the ticket price was at that time when that contract was signed and now that it has to be the capacity has to be essentially split to what is it 25 percent probably of that venue capacity oh are these indoors or outdoors do we know i don't know i'm looking right now on the website um i feel like it's both yeah i think it's both i think you're right Nate. i think there's some indoor there's some outdoors it doesn't they're gonna have the guidelines that they're putting in place trump whatever guidelines of where they're at so like do you know the marquee theater in arizona so that's obviously indoors, yeah. I'm trying to see how much they cost. So Nate, you were suggesting there'll be limited capacity, obviously, if there's pods. I mean, exactly. Yeah. So are they combining that ticket price as like a group ticket purchase, and what does that break down to, and what what would that price ticket ticket price be prior to COVID going down? You know, is it probably forexed since then just to kind of make up for capacity restrictions? I don't know. We'll see. So a pod for this Arizona show. Hundred and four dollars, but up to six people. Wait, is that per person? One hundred five. Yeah, one hundred four. One hundred four per person. Um, so, I don't yeah. know if it's per person. Six people limit in the pod, so I don't know. Damn, no one's making money on that then. So it must be one hundred four per person. That makes sense. It's got to be. And it looks like it's in a parking lot, so it does look like it's outside, even though it's Arizona. So I'm looking at the seating chart, and it is out in a parking lot. Okay, you just well, answered my question then, because last time yeah. Corey Taylor towards solo i mean given inflation and everything i think the ticket was 35 bucks so there you go now it's 105 you said well maybe i mean yeah it's hard to tell i didn't want to click through to try to pay for a show in arizona when i'm here in maine so (laughs) (laughs) well maybe we'll never know but yeah uh at least you got a pod and it looked like they're set up throughout the parking lot distanced obviously if it's 104 dollars a person per pod that's that's a lot of that's a lot of money 600 bucks per pod and i don't know how many pods are there 50 that's a pretty good chunk of change oh there'll be more than that i mean that's only 300 people yeah no i'm just looking at it quickly yeah that's interesting i mean i can't imagine if they're going the pod route that there would be indoor places that could handle enough people to make everyone's time worth it from a money perspective but what do i know i have no idea i don't think Corey's in it for the money so it wouldn't be his camp i i wouldn't think driving that yeah, but that's where it gets complicated, right? Because he, his advance, his personal request on what he needs for an advance, gets four x straight, or at least at the bare minimum, like a keystone price on onto the customer. So if he's saying, "Hey, I need at least this," and it breaks out to like twenty five ahead, which I think, like I was saying earlier, like last time he toured, it was cheap. It was like twenty five to thirty five bucks a ticket, and now it's at one hundred and five. It's probably Ticketmaster, like, "Hey, we got to make up for capacity. What, like, what do you want from me?" 
So that better be a long show, like a four-hour show. Doesn't look like Ticketmaster. Really? Yeah, because you go through his website, and then it kicked me to another website that is not Ticketmaster. So okay, I'm trying to figure etix.com. So Lucky Man Concert. Wow. Yeah, go, going. So they're not taking the cut that Ticketmaster's taking, obviously. So much nerd insight here. Now that I'm looking at the venues, yeah, these aren't Ticketmaster venues. Like St. Louis Pops, that's probably like a like a a parking lot in St. Louis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I mean, uh, if he were coming to a parking lot in Southern Maine in, in late May, I'd probably go. A pod outside, hell yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think this is uh, probably a sign of what's to come. Yep. For sure. And right. and I. I I would assume most of these are outside, just given the locations. But there's some Midwest stuff in there too. So next couple of months, I mean, it's not like it's dead of the summer, but I'm encur- it's encouraging. Is my that's my takeaway from all this? It's mid to late May, so who who know, or into June, I guess, depending on where it is. I mean, in Texas, that's not going to be an issue. It's probably going to be hotter than hell, but in Illinois, it might it might be nice. Who knows, right? The wet mother nature. Yeah, events centers, Apollo Theater. Um, Looks like some out, uh, indoor stuff too. So who knows? I can't wait till like um, the layouts released or like video footage. Yeah. That, uh, very curious on this one. There'll be that, and I hope, I hope they do something behind the scenes too. Obviously, if it's good, they'll, they'll release it. Maybe as an NFT. Who knows? But if they do like a little video of putting it together and then showing, you know, people getting scanned on their way in and then hanging out at their pods, it'd be cool to see like what it looked like for someone who can't go, obviously, because there's nothing near us. And there's nothing in California, Nate, so you're not going to get them either. I saw that, yeah. But interesting stuff. So keep an eye on that. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that, too. Hopefully that goes off without a hitch. Uh, we're only, you know, 50, 50 or so days away, 60 or so days away from the kickoff of that tour. Yeah, in other news, Chevelle has recently uh, kind of outed their label a little bit. Said their out al- their labels made fifty million dollars, but in quotations they've made no money. So not a surprise. You know we're pretty geeky geeky here. Like we know that the payouts aren't big, especially from a major label. But um, yeah, I guess they've fulfilled their record contract. So they're looking uh, they're kind of entertaining offers. I'm you know we talked about NFT- NFTs last week, so I think there's there's opportunity there for sure. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I we I've said this a number of times in this podcast. Water's wet, grass is green, and labels will find a way to fuck you. Um, I think that's how the saying goes. I'm not surprised is, by this yes. at all. I mean, this is I don't know if it's an exaggeration or just you know kind of a blanket statement to say we haven't made any money from them. Uh, maybe that's true. I mean, if they have made any money, I'm sure it's not much at all. But it doesn't surprise me with. Label advances and the nature of their contract, like context is key to this. They signed with Epic in what, 95? I think that's what Mm -hmm. I read. I mean, they're not that old now. So they were kids. So they got exploited, I'm sure. And then, you know, when they, if they re up their contract, they were still pretty young. I have another take on this, but I'll save it to hear what you think, Tone. So I think they probably signed a couple of deals that they didn't love and they, but they stuck around with the, with Epic for quite some time. I mean, they put 10, 10 records out with them most recently last wow. week, Neradius, or I don't even know how to say it, but that came out last week. And uh, it, it sounds like that did. Okay. I think it was in the top 10 uh, for rock rock records released last week. So it's, they're still viable as a band. 
as far as the album sales go somehow. And then I'm sure the streaming numbers were decent for that too, just because if people are buying it, then people are also going and listening to it on their Spotify's and their Apple Music's. But they probably just signed deals that weren't great for them, you know, looking back on it now, like a little upset that they did that. And, you know, in, in 2021 or 2020, even we were talking a lot about artists owning their masters and now they're maybe seeing, can we do that? Can we do our own thing? Be indie, own our own stuff and do something different. Maybe they do. Who knows? Yeah. And you got to think like that label or sorry, that contract was from the nineties. So, I mean, that's a completely different landscape. Like you're expected to make certain sales based on those records on the RIAA and, uh, you know, Nielsen SoundScan to just like have it work out in the, in the artist's paper, almost like, you know, but that contract is like a car salesman contract. You're like, Oh, it looks good on paper, like quick glance kind of thing. So, you know, they're definitely eating their words now, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. definitely evolved. Right. When, so when you're say, 17 and you sign that or whatever, I don't know how old they are, but my assumption exactly. is they were probably right out of high school or close to it, but I'm sure they've signed another one since then. I can't imagine they signed a 10 yeah. year deal, a 10 record deal in 1995. That's, that's not a good idea for the, the label. It looks like they formed in 95. So I don't know when they, they the, so the punchline is they were young. Yeah. yeah. The take that I, that I have on this when I heard it is like, you can't just take that headline for what it is. There's other intangibles the label brings besides, you know, taking, you know, taking your money. And what I mean is if they weren't on Epic, they wouldn't be as big as they were. They wouldn't be able to draw as big as they would. So it's like I go back to the Shark Tank analogy where, yeah, Shark Tank, you get a deal on Shark Tank, you get exploited. But the reality is you own, rather than owning a big piece of a small entity, you own a, uh, a, a smaller piece of a huge entity. You need the sharks to blow up. Otherwise, you're beating your drum drum kit in, in your basement still. So I'm not saying that's the case with these guys, but... You know, if they weren't on a lab major, they wouldn't have sold those that many records anyway. You know what I mean? So it's you got to I'm not defending the labels because the labels exploited so many bands and it's a rigged deck, but they do have a purpose and they did their job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hear that. And I think that they um, they probably don't they're probably just looking at it through, you know, hindsight and, and just being upset that they didn't make more money in the open market as a, as a, as an act with another label, maybe because they were a pretty popular band. I mean, especially early two thousands, mm -hmm. they, they weren't quite new metal, but they kind of came in around the same time as more of a straightforward rock band. And, um, got, you know, I think they were Ozfest, right. They, they were, they were on some big tours and got some big exposure probably because they were on a big label uh, and they definitely reaped some of the benefits of that, but they're probably looking back on it now. I just wish they, They've sold a bunch of records. They feel like they probably deserve more monetarily because of it, which I, I get. Labels, it makes some yeah. sense to me. Yeah, and to your point, Tuan, I mean, like they get put on tours from Epic too, right? That's a it's an ecosystem of connections. Yeah, and Epic's pretty notorious for this stuff, so it's not like a surprise that it's time. Like all the bad press and everything from the artist directly is always it always kind of ties back to Sony in a lot of ways, unfortunately. And I wouldn't be surprised if this was a a ten album cycle contract because incubus was tied into like an eight eight album tour uh contract pearl jam i think had like a nine so i think they they get people early and just kind of get them while they're not really thinking clearly and then you know they're just locked in and then they either get dropped or they're just you know tied to that agreement for whatever it is and tool i mean uh sorry 
Chevelle, I feel like was really just a, a gold rush for Epic to be like, hey, this is kind of a tool like band. They're pretty big. So we should probably grab this since we don't have tool. Um, kind of like Creed and Pearl Jam, right? Like, oh, this sounds similar. We know we'll sell some records because it's a riff off of what's already selling. It's a proven concept. So, yeah. Yeah. I could see that. You're right. That makes sense. They maybe they did, they did get kind of bamboozled early and, and signed into a, a large one. Then why don't we get more than one live album from them? Right. We've talked about hits. that in the past. The greatest hits just to help satisfy those, those deals, those long deals to get, to get out of them. Uh, who knows, man? Early on, I love this band early on. Those first couple of records are really good, I think, but I'm not sure. Nate, you, you were into them too back then, right? Yeah, I feel like they kind of hit their stride on, like, on their third, fourth album cycle. Like the clincher, what was that? What was that name of that record? I can't remember. Uh, this type of thinking will do us in, I think. Oh, nice. That's why I count on that memory. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like they were they were on a good streak. And, um, you know, he got a Peter, is it Pete Loeffler? Yeah. Yep. Singer, the singer. It's a lot of comparison to Maynard James Keenan's like type of song delivery and whatnot, but it's like, hey, like when I would see Chevelle, it was like seeing Tool in a theater. It was like it's it's a different band. The songs are still really solid. They're a tight band. You know, they're essentially all brothers. They, they were all, they at one point were all brothers, and then they kicked one of them out. I think, which is yeah. wow. crazy. How are the family reunions there? Yeah, right. Uh, uh, that and and uh, well, maybe maybe they aren't that bad because they weren't making any money anyway, so it didn't matter. <laughs> Uh, I I hear the Maynard comparison with Peter Loeffler. I don't hear the musical comparison, other than their rock bands. Uh, Tool is way more proggy rock-wise, uh, instrumentally. But he definitely does have a delivery similar to kind of that higher Maynard regis- register. You know, the one, I, I didn't read the full article, but like one thing that's missing is is like you know they're I would assume they're doing well financially just because they're not making money. You know, there's all the yeah. ancillary. Uh, income streams but i think the the kind of punchline here is just like how many albums does it take to make money you know what i mean i I know like every deal is different but damn like imagine selling six million copies and not seeing anything from that directly obviously like we said there's indirect um benefits but that's wild that is wild yeah that's a good question i wonder the same like do you have to go diamond to like feel like okay cool I've actually, I can put some money away. Great. This just brings us back to owning your masters and, and more and more artists are going to be in charge of what they do content wise on many different platforms, whether it be music release or the way that you are able to see them. We see Corey Taylor using, uh, you know, smaller firms to sell tickets, stuff like that. It's just going to be more and more of that and less and less of the big dogs taking up all the money. Yeah. I mean, the, barriers to entry for a lot of this stuff is pretty small you know if, if so chevelle they're out of their deal they could throw something up on soundcloud and and charge you know what i mean you exactly could yep the only fans of music you know we've talked about this before that's what's going to happen more and more of it too and i mean it's already happening but it's going to happen even more and you're going to see some of the bigger players in those places than you know uh, uh, the household names that we've heard of before doing that stuff i have i got a question for you guys related to this i'm just curious now so if you have b-sides that you wrote during sessions under a record contract is that stuff suspended under that contract or does it become free will once the contract has been satisfied stuff that was released no b-sides like stuff that was recording in recorded in the sessions but not released Mm, that's a good question it's complicated because it's within the year contract set dates so there's probably a lot of gold in there 
so speaking of like making revenue post, whether it be NFT, limited item, press wax on B-sides from everything off of uh, seeing, uh, what was the album with Seeing Red? I uh, wonder what's next. wonder what's next. You know, they probably have a full two albums worth of great material uh, just because they were on high at that point. I wonder. That's something that we got we to gotta figure out. The label probably about? owns that. You think? We might guess. Yeah, the label probably owns that stuff. If, if it's if hmm. it's been recorded and squirreled away at the headquarters, yeah, I would imagine they own it. You're probably right. Then it'd be then it'd get into uh, proving it was from those sessions. But I'm I'm sure there's there's uh it, it's it's cataloged somehow. Yeah, the big dog knows it was here. We we have you guys writing down names and stuff, and then we took all the paperwork and yeah yeah. I think the only way to know is to really get an actual contract and and read it and just highlight a bunch of stuff and jump on the podcast and talk about it in depth because it might have some stipulations like yes this was never released it was never pressed it was actually maybe never even recorded but during that time we paid rick rubin to produce you so therefore you know you're contractually obligated because of that alone and it's like fuck man i got some gold in the bank and i can't even touch it yeah maybe we ask peter loffler to come on and explain his contract situation with us <laughs> it sounds like he's ready to talk so <laughs> i was gonna say this makes me want to have someone at the label on the podcast to really right? understand how like how close are they like I can't imagine there's someone at the label in the studio like for every you know every day of a record you know recording an album but there's some correspondence there like do they see the sausage while it gets made or do they just get the final product you know so many questions yeah it's a good call I wonder wonder what's next I wonder <laughs> exactly <laughs> we'll find something we'll we'll find uh, somebody who knows the answer to this question in the near future and and hopefully report back that's what we do all right, main segment. Main event. Yeah. The main segment is kind of a it's kind of a side project, isn't it, guys? Uh side projects are key, man. You gotta have an outlet, you know? <laughs> Hell yeah. So what are we talking about? Side projects are key. In fact, maybe those B side songs become side projects and that's the out. You know? Like, wow. Oh, I got this thing. I'm not gonna tell anyone. I'm not even gonna go in this recording studio. This is gonna sit in this shoebox until I'm ready to so kind of sway away. What you're saying is Chevelle drops one of the L's, re-records it, and that's it. That's like their new their new song. It's side exactly. project Chevelle with one L. Are you the Segway King now, Nate? He's back. <laughs> yeah. For those at home, we 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 pass around a Burger King uh, crown, and we just every week somebody gets to wear it because they're the Segway King. Right now it's Nate. Oh, I love the crown. It's a little late, but you know. I had to sneak it in there because I thought of it like almost in real time. So yeah, side projects. Uh, what do you guys got, man? Who wants to go first? So what, what we're going to do is we each took a couple of side projects. So bands that or artists that uh, we, we took. We don't have solos, right? It's all bands. You guys have bands? I got bands. Yeah, no solos. Yep. Yeah, so bands of, of someone or people coming together, making music, but was we, we didn't know about them first. Maybe we knew about something bigger beforehand and then side project and or super group occasionally may have formed out of uh you know some mutual connections and we ended up with stuff we all liked and we're gonna kind of bandy that stuff about so who wants to lead off i'll go sweet i was gonna say spin the wheel <laughs> all right you're not the king anymore no more wheel uh, no, no more wheel. The wheel just every week with the wheel and frank maddox god <laughs> i'm gonna go with this one just in case um you guys have it because I, I only picked two so this one is a side project 
that uh, this side project dropped the first album in 2004. It was a departure from this artist's previous band. And it's interesting, this was the first of many side projects for this individual. And this individual came up in an episode with a guest a few weeks back. Any guesses? Yeah, I know who it is. Nate, do you? thought I did, but now I don't. Is it? Is it Hit Automatica? It is. Daryl Palumbo. Do you yeah. have that one? Yeah. I don't, but I'm, that's that's a great call. I didn't even think of that. Do you have it? Do you have it, Nate? I do have that one, yeah. <laughs> Are you serious? Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's do it. Let's, let's hash let's, it let's, out. Let's it's all good. Yeah. Let's tandem it. So, all right. A uh, little, little context. Daryl Palumbo, singer of, you know, post-hardcore band, Glassjaw, came out of uh, Long Island, New York. You, if you listen to us, you probably know the story. Big band for us, collectively. I know we haven't jived on them too, too much. I mean, it came up in that Long Island episode, but we do love them. So they released albums in 99, 2002. After 2002, Worship and Tribute, from my perspective, Glassjaw was, I think they toured off it. I remember seeing them at a Warp Tour in 2003. But after that, it was kind of quiet. So then there's like rumors. I remember in the moment, rumors of a Palumbo side project and... It drops in an album drops in 2004. There was a couple singles released beforehand. I think what was it? The baby song, uh, heart beating baby, yep. beating heart baby. I think that was one of the first ones released. And it's like if you know Glassjaw and you know that song, you're like, all right, this is this is different. It's like a dance pop, power pop type of thing. And Daryl and Glassjaw kind of a cult following. So everyone's like super psyched for this thing. It drops, uh, was it Decadence? Decadence drops in two, in um, 2004. Howard Benson and Dan the Automator produced it. And for me, it's a fantastic album. I admittedly n- never really dove into Propaganda in 2006. And I know there's a unreleased head album called uh, Swan Damage that never saw the light of day. And that's kind of like almost the story with Glassjaw. It's like there's these rumored out or these like, you know, folklore albums that never see the light of day. So I'll pause there. Nate, you had this. I had this too, man. That's funny. And, and when you said when we talked about it recently, I didn't know that we had. But I guess when we had, uh, who did we have on that we talked about it? Well, we just talked about Glassjaw with uh, Brendan okay. Garone, Long Island episode, briefly. Oh, right on, right on. Nice, nice. Yeah, I chose this too just because it's such a standout side project. I mean, it's, like you said, a huge departure from Glassjaw. But... As I was kind of geeking out on this today, it's kind of like the epitome of a perfect side project because it doesn't take away from Glassjaw. It just adds to Daryl's... Great call. Right? It's like Daryl's repertoire. It's like, this guy's amazing. He's got an amazing voice. It's interchangeable to essentially whatever genre. Um, You go from like this metal band or I don't know, what would you call Glassjaw? It seems like it's such an interesting project. It's almost genreless. Post-hardcore. Um, hardcore yeah. Yeah. Something in that. There's so many weird elements in there, too. Um, but this one, yeah, it's straight up new wave, power pop. You know, just, I loved it, too, man. Just the way you said it, I was like, exactly how I felt. Like, I didn't know what to expect. And when this re- presented itself, I was like, this is fucking great. It's definitely like a feel-good album. And his voice is just, it's so cool, you know? Like, if you're a fan of Glassjaw, you're like, whatever, whatever this guy does, it's going to be great. So I'm down. And I remember the show came to Maine, right? Came to the station. Yeah, I was there. Yep. Which was which was great because it was like Glass Show was pretty.
pretty big at the time. I mean, they were playing theaters, which is big for that type of music. And then this came to the station, which is like this tiny club in Portland, which is no longer going. But uh, the show was great. The album's great. I don't listen to it enough. And similar to you, Tuan, I didn't. I never even gave uh, the other album a chance. But I really dug this album a lot. And revisiting it today, I was like, this. Is, I remember why I liked it. It was like an immediate first listen. So, props on uh, Daryl. Just I agree. Take a risk. I agree. Uh, I listened. You guys got me into this then, back then when it came out. Uh, and it's it's a testament to Daryl as a frontman that he could pull off both types of music, both genres, and they're both a little genre bending, but that he could do that with two separate bands, be in this post-hardcore-ish, uh, you know, really completely different vocally for him to jump into Head Automatica and do this kind of dance glam power pop type thing with new you know new wave kind of roots almost it, it was it was awesome and you're right everybody was really excited oh man daryl's got a new thing coming out what's it gonna sound like and nobody i don't think anybody was really ready for that but people were into it which was cool i mean i know glassjaw fans that were like yeah this is awesome i know it's not what i expect from him but this is awesome and i was i was one of them yeah he he seems like a guy that just can't sit still like he did that United Nations band with Jeff Rickley of Thursday. He did color film, which I'm not even, I never heard, I never really listened to that, but he just is a guy that can't sit still. And all those bands are way different. Like United Nations is like an old, like a throwback screamo band. But yeah, I, I feel like this was, this came out on Warner brothers. So obviously there was that connection there already from Gla- the glass jaw days. Cause worship and tribute was on Warner bros. And also in, in what, this came out in 2004, so this is probably recorded in 2003. He was in his early 20s, so he's probably still figuring things out, you know? He's been, Glassjaw at that point was a band for 10 years, and he was like probably just wanting to try something else. Interesting, though, because we always like to think about the why. Like, why and how did this come about? Like, how long was this in the works, you know? So many questions. Daryl, come on the podcast, man. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, did did they so they put out pop again in what 2006 you said yep yep and they've there was a rumored album but there's been nothing since nothing since so we're 15 years almost 15 years since that that album dropped and glassjaw dropped a record like four years ago something like that yep because there's a lot there's a lot of break in between right there's always like kind of mystery around what was happening like is there totally it was never just like three years in between albums and touring cycles and like there were with a lot of bands of Glassjaw's ilk at that time, uh, where they just kind of jumped in, put an album out, got big, put a major out, got and put another major out, and then maybe disappeared or continued to go depending on how they did. Glassjaw wasn't like that. Head Automatica wasn't like that. It was like, here's a couple things, see ya. Maybe we'll see you again. Who knows? <laughs> but kind of like Hum, like we could see a surprise Head Automatica album, like even a new one, not just Swan Damage seeing the light of day. There's just, you're right. There's mystery, there's intrigue, there's, I don't know, a lot of those Long Island bands, man. Crime and Stereo, brand new. They're all just like fucking with us. Something in the water. <laughs> Makes good pizza, New York. Yeah. Yep. I was going to say, I was, I'm confused too, just because, you know, what is Daryl doing and where do all these projects come from? And I said earlier, like, it doesn't take away from Glassjaw. It, it, it just kind of adds to, well, I guess more so just Daryl's repertoire. At the same time, kind of uh, rewinding a little bit, maybe it does take away from Glassjaw, and that's why there's those 
awkward moments of silence because to put out an album at Automatica and then tour off it, that takes away from Glassjaw collectively. Good point. Yeah. Right. So there's always friction with with that release. So hard to say. Like you said, we'll only know until we get Daryl on here. So I'm gonna segue, but Perfect. similarly into my my first one. Nice. Uh, one of the guy, two of the guys in my my first one here, are guys that are often rumored and in, in and around a lot of other people's things. Uh, one of them is similar to uh, we just the way we described Daryl. He's uh, can't sit still. We've talked about him numerous times on this podcast. And one is from a band that Nate and I both have uh, talked about being very early on in our music kind of love for music taking off. He was the, the rhythm section, one of the rhythm section for that band. So any any guesses? I know. Yeah. It's the Tom York Flea project? No. Is, is that a project? Am I making that up? I'm not sure. I think I just made that up. You might have. I'm trying to guess tone, but I can't think of anything. Well, all right. We've talked about... Actually, actually, I think I know now. Okay, go ahead. Is it, is it Them Crooked Vultures? It is. It is oh, Them Crooked yeah. Vultures. Yes. <laughs> Just needed an extra second. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of uh, Adams for Peace, which Adams is... Adams for Peace, yeah. Yeah, okay. Carry on. So, yeah, uh, Josh Homey, John Paul Jones, Dave Grohl. I mean, that's for me, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> like, Wait, who are those I guys? love how... Yeah, right? Uh, Josh Homey of Queens of the Stone Age... And then prior to that, Caius. And then he's in all, all kinds of other stuff. Fame. John Paul Jones, uh, Led Zeppelin. And Dave Grohl, obviously Nirvana. And then Foo Fighters. And then a, a bunch of other stuff, too. He's, he drummed for Queens. And uh, he's in, had his own band, Probot, there for a little bit. And he's just been all over the map, too. They put out uh, Them Crooked Vultures in 2009, I believe. And uh, they formed sort of on paper in 2005. And did you guys know they almost recruited Jimmy Page as well? I didn't know that. I know now. I didn't either. Yeah. Pretty, which they didn't need him. It was was an awesome record anyway, but that would have kind of blown the doors off a little bit. Have Homey and Jimmy Page going back and forth on guitar. That would have been pretty cool. Uh, Now I'm like, I wish that it happened. Uh, But yeah, they were, uh, put the one record out were kind of all over the place. They, they, played download fest they uh they were toured they were support for for uh the arctic monkeys at one point and then they did their own thing and they sold they, i think they were at ross kilda they were at a bunch of different things in the 2009 2010 2011 range and then poof just as quickly as they became huge they disappeared technically they're not broken up if you ask dave Grohl, he'd tell you yeah we we practice once every 10 years and we're coming up on a decade so we maybe we'll see them practice to get you know get together again and put some music out but yeah this this band was this record was really cool the one thing for me that if you listen to it it sounds like another queen's record right it's pretty queensy you can you can feel the vibe the desert vibe that you get from queens and caius before them and for Josh Homey to be able to bend John Paul Jones and Dave Grohl to his will, that is what floored me about this project. Ooh, great pull, man. I I love this band. And I agree with pretty much everything you said just now because it it is very Queens of the Stone Age. You know, it's basically Queens of the Stone Age 2.0. You got John Paul Jones, like you said, from Zeppelin. I did not know about Jimmy uh, Jimmy Page. Which is crazy because he's he's the only member from Zeppelin that's still alive that's always pulling for a Led Zeppelin reunion, but he's the only one that doesn't ever do any kind of side project touring. 
to essentially prove that he still has the legs to even do it in the first place. So John Paul Jones is doing that. Uh, Robert Plant towards solo, you know, so you got to be up there to show that you can even make it happen. But um, yeah, man, I love this album. Saw them on the, on the debut tour in Denver, flew out to Denver just to see the show. Damn. And uh, it was so good, man. It, it was one of those things where you're watching it. You're like, I know this is probably the first and last time I'll see this. And just seeing anyone from Led Zeppelin on stage in a club. Well, this wasn't a club. It was the Fillmore. Um, pretty big theater, but a theater nonetheless to see three legends just fucking chugging along on stage was a sight to see. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And the album's, yeah, the album's solid. But I really do think it's just it's essentially a Queens of the Stone Age album with some special guests is what it really kind of boils down to. Um, and then Poof Gone. Right? Yeah, and Poof Gone, like you said, but... You know, that's Dave Grohl in a, in a nutshell, right? He's working on different projects. He doesn't need um, them Cricket Vultures to be successful to tour on or to to keep on that legacy. You can kind of just dip back to Foo Fighters or if you really wanted to, you could just kind of reunite Nirvana. And then and then Josh, like Queens of the Stone I'm gonna, Age. I'm going to call bullshit on that one without Kurt. And I think that one will be kind of hard. Yeah, well, they said they do it. Recently, uh, Dave was They get together, that, but they're not putting Nirvana together for tour or any of that stuff. Yeah, right, yeah, right. they could. They could. It would be a bold move, and I think that's probably the why they haven't done it. But um, yeah, and I think John Paul Jones is essentially Zeppelin. I think he does a lot of scoring, um, does kind of some like little other side project projects too that we you know don't know a lot about. It's kind of like Europe centric. But Josh, obviously, like Queens of the Stone Age was taken off at this point, so he could just bounce back to that. But great pull. I didn't even think of this one. It's basically a super group, right? So there's like that fine line. Is it a yep. side project or a super? It's both. Yeah. While you were talking, Nate, it made me have show regret in terms of, you know, across the board with side projects. Cause, like, in the moment, you don't, at least I didn't think of like, all right, this is a side project of, and uh, this is not just applying to them crooked vultures, but side projects are side projects. You know what I mean? You don't think, you have no idea how long it's going to last. And I think through this exercise and trying to think of bands like it's typically short-lived either one because it doesn't work or two you know the big leagues are pulling at them so like dave's gonna get back to the foos uh queens is gonna do another album so the fact that you saw them is amazing yeah it's amazing i mean how many tours did they do they toured pretty heavy for like a year and a half two years but then it was it like it was see ya so yeah i mean and they were at like a, a lot of big tours in Europe and stuff. So it wasn't like they were all over right. the U.S. They were, but for a short amount of time. So the fact that you were able to catch them, it is pretty, pretty badass. Yeah, don't quote me on it, but I think they did basically one and a half legs for a tour. Yeah. So it's basically like the tour, and then they did like a kind of a half tour to wrap around certain festival dates around the U.S. But like you said, mainly it was international. And I remember as it was unfolding, like when the project was announced, they would like play a show in Europe and then fly to Australia and do a gig. And then they fly to like Asia and do a gig. And the U S tour was like only like eight gigs. You know what I mean? So it was yeah. limited from the get go. Um, so when like the Denver show pulled up, oh, where was I living at the time? New York, I think no Florida. It was like, Oh, it's a, a selection of dates. Like a uh, Denver. I got a buddy there. Let's check it out. He was down. Um, Shout out to Bob who might be listening. Yeah. Exactly. Hey Bob. So, and I knew it and we all knew it. It was like, this is going to be like a one-time thing based on that alone, that it was already a limited engagement tour date wise, let alone like, is this really going to last, you know? So it's a time and a place thing. Like 
it wouldn't hit the same now. I mean, I think John Paul Jones is like mid seventies now. Not that that he couldn't, you know, he could still do it, but they may not tour, but they could put a record out. Yep. But in terms of tour, yeah, uh, from a touring lens, yep. I think you 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 hit it. You were in the right time, right place, or you m- put yourself in the right right place. And a couple just tidbits from my research for this today. Dave Grohl said, I think in 2019, that's the band I want to be the drummer for forever, which is kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, he was in Nirvana. Right. <laughs> so pretty pretty, pretty high praise for those guys. Uh, the other thing that I thought was was funny, and you guys will know, you know the, the Dave Grohl Fresh Pots video? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, at the time was recorded uh, during the recording of the, the them crooked vultures record there was rumor it was recorded during the second session but there was no second session because we don't have a second album so not yet fresh pots baby you know what's cool about dave Grohl? it's it really is nerd i like to say nerdery squared because yeah he was drinking tons of coffee and like being a fanatic trying to get that shit done because he was playing with john paul jones his favorite band is led zeppelin so imagine being him he's so geeky like oh man, I'm going to be a drummer for my favorite band and my biggest idol is John Bonham. I'm like, I'm going to fucking make sure that this is the best music I've ever made in my life, basically. Well, when he was in Nirvana, he was always like, hey, listen to Caius, listen to Caius. So he, yeah. he also was big into the homemade stuff too. So yeah. All right, Tuan, what's your second one? All right, so round two. I picked one, I don't know, some people might think it's a deep cut. It sold several hundred thousand copies in the early 90s. It came from the ashes of one of the biggest punk bands on the planet, which is uh, Husker Du. So Bob Mould of uh, Husker Du, they wrapped up in, what, late 80s? So like a raid on the, I think it was a slight overlap. So I think this does still qualify as the side project. But um, again, time and a place, he um, put together the band Sugar. Do you guys know the band Sugar? Heard of them. I don't know Sugar, no. So... Again, who's going to do punk band? He puts together Sugar in the, in the early 90s, and I did some reading up on it. He was super impressed and, and, and super kind of in love with Nirvana at the time. So he wanted to kind of shift things up. And Sugar is not a grunge band. They're more of like your typical alt-rock radio, 90s, 90s alt-rock band. So yep. they put out the absolute classic album, Copper Blue, which... I would have never thought it sold multiple hundred thousand copies because typically if, if an album sells that, we're music nerds, I'm going to know about it. I didn't know about this album until probably 10 years ago. And it was just on maybe like a pitchfork throwback list or something. And I was like, all right, who? it's a w- weird name. It's can get lost in the shuffle in terms of marketing and all that. Oh, it's got the dude from Husker Du. All right, I'll check it out. But it reminds me of early, early Goo Goo Dolls. That wow. type of that type of vibe, and I don't know if I've mentioned the band Farside. They were on uh, Revelation, but that um, I don't know. There's parts of this, and people might disagree, but there's parts of Bob Mould in um, Sugar that kind of remind remind me of Eddie Vedder. Kind of have that thing. So maybe that's the grunge influence coming in. I can in. hear that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's probably thirty years ago. He's he's probably late 20s early 30s and probably was just done with the punk thing you know i don't know that whole story but it makes sense given the context we we um we've talked about bob mold fairly recently he came up in our foo fighters conversation because he was on he was on 
Wasting Light. He was on Rosemary, I think, on Wasting Light with Chris Novoselic too. So that might have been a big deal for him to be get the invite and hang out with the guys from Nirvana and slash the Foo Fighters and dude, you're and right. Make music. I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. And looking looking at it through this lens, that makes complete sense to me. I'm like, no wonder there was a little bit of worship there. And yeah, he he's like Dave Grohl calls and says, "You want to be on my record?" He's like, "Fuck yeah, let's go." I mean, that's that's cool stuff. All the the dots are connected, right? Everything's connected. So this dropped in '92. Ninety-two. Okay. Yeah. So I was gonna say, um, as you were kind of glossing over the band's history, I couldn't help but think like the '90s in terms of side projects. I feel like it was maybe just more free. Like there's not a whole lot of pressure on. Hey, you want to kind of shift to the side and do a little side project? No big deal. Gonna play some clubs on the side. Still part of this big band or whatever. Now I feel like there's just too much access to information. Like if you try to see a side project like them, Cricket Vulture is like, oh shit, it's three people from three different bands. I feel like that would have been played out different had it dropped in the nineties. So Dave's with Nirvana. Yep. Josh is with Caius and, you know, obviously John Paul Jones is always from Led Zeppelin, um, but it becomes super group, you know, post 2000, everything's just like kind of like in your face after that. So there's a, this is an interesting thing to think about. Like '90s was still still so like so like organic. Like hey, you can still kind of do your thing. No big deal. I decided that's just something I was thinking about, especially with the band I'm going to bring up later. Yeah, no, I don't know how big. Like I know they. I, I think I read it sold two three hundred thousand copies, which is pretty amazing. Um, I can't. Did Husker do ever do that? Like I don't think they did. Like you know, I don't know. I. And like, what type of venues were was Sugar playing? Like, I in my head I picture club band, but when you're selling that many records, maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. But Copper Blue, if you haven't heard it, it's got a very like classic, typical '90s uh, cover art. It's very basic. Great album though. I'm excited to dig into that. Yeah, all all like college alt rock, uh, '90s alt rock, uh, uh, '90s college radio rock. You'll you'll love it. Hell yeah, dude. Tone you up. I can do my second one. I, I feel like Nate needs to go though because oh, he hasn't right, had Nate. his own. I'm sorry. He hasn't had his own full one yet. Oh yeah, I was kind of riffing on that uh, on head on a manica. All right, yeah, cool. Hop in, man. Well, this actually makes sense because uh, similar to what you said earlier, this is a hybrid supergroup. I guess it is. In fact, Adams for Peace, <laughs> like no. you said, Twan. Oh, no wow. way. <laughs> yeah, you, you had a little spidey sense going on there. Clairvoyance. Tom, That's what we do here. Nerd nerdvoyance. Exactly. Nerdvoyance. Tom York from uh, Radiohead fame, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Nigel, who's also a producer, and uh, Joey, also a producer. So two producers in this group. And then uh, Maro, who is a band member for David Burns Band. So it is a super group when you think about like adding producers to your rhythm section. Um, but this ironically started as a solo project for when Tom York dropped The Eraser, and I think 06, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that sounds right. And he didn't tour off it, but I think he tried to. I think what happened from what I've read, kind of gathered, that he was rehearsing, but realized like, oh, shit. I mean, this is a solo album. I can't perform all these instruments simultaneously. You know what I mean? So I guess I just won't tour on it. So he kind of revisited it later and recruited these people to kind of help them, help him execute the songs live. So that's exactly what they did. So it is kind of a super group, uh, but it's all original Tom York music. So I kind of still kind of throw it into the side project category and it's pretty damn good. And uh, like you said, 
good exercise on this side project thing because even when this dropped, I'm a huge, huge Radiohead fan and Chili Peppers, and I really like Tom York's solo album, the solo, uh, the single Black Swan that dropped and everything. That song I never awesome. Checked- Ah, oh, so fucking good. But I never checked out this uh, solo album, or sorry, this side project, which dropped in 2013 called AMOC. I think I'm pronouncing that right, which is uh, basically this coming to full fruition on this side project with these members kind of helping him execute the songs that he had originally kind of put together. And um, I think the cool thing about doing this side project segment is that there's all this music coming at us all the time. And even if they have members of bands that are famous or ones that we really adore like you still kind of like miss them sometimes whether it's the timing or whatever yep. and so i listened to it today and i was like damn this is actually pretty damn good i had never given it at the time of day but ultimately it just kind of reminds me of a radio ad album <laughs> so you know there's that but i think it it goes back to like hey if you like the members of the band it's nice to see that them see them still you know just kind of following their roots and just going for it anyway and they played theaters for this so mm. Little show regret there that, like you said, with the them cricket vultures. I didn't see them on this tour, but it'd be cool to see them doing these songs. Yeah. Um, so was this you're talking Radiohead like circa later, a little more digital, like King of Limsy type sound? Exactly. Oh, even like Kid A going forward. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. a little more digital, a little less plugged in, like the bends and and uh open totally. computer were. Yeah. Okay. Okay. See, that's where they no, and that's because the Radiohead I like is the Benz and OK Computer. Like, I don't love, I mean, I like Kid A, I like Amnesiac in spots, but for me, I like the plugged in version. Like, I, the Benz is my favorite Radiohead record, but that is a straightforward rock Radiohead record. And I like them, that version of them, the best. Now, that being said, I do like other stuff by them, and I, I have taken chances on some of the, uh, more synthy, more electronic-y sounding stuff like Black Swan from Eraser is that type of music. So yeah. if you're telling me I like that and, I, and then I would like this, then I'm, I'm down. I want to check it out. It made me think, Nate, kind of channeling back to your Glassjaw Daryl, the head automatica thing of like, does it take away from Glassjaw? Well, Glassjaw is kind of this mystery. With Radiohead, they're kind of a mystery too. And I, I'm sure fans are happy to get something but are they mad because it's not Radiohead? I don't know. Was this well-received? I mean, it's it's complicated because he put out the solo album and never toured on it. And then he put Adams to Peace Forget together and toured on that. And some of them are basically B-sides or restructured songs from that from that solo album. So it, like, it's kind of like convoluted. Is it a side project? Is it a solo album? Is it... It seems like from what I gathered, especially listening today, that it's more of a side project ultimately because I think he started something, wasn't able to fully execute on the live aspect of it, which is obviously vitally important to kind of just showcase what that music represents. And so, I mean, his solo album was 06. He didn't tour on this till 2009. The album didn't drop till 2013. Wow. So it's kind of been stretched out. So if anything, it's kind of an art project. And I don't think it takes away from radiohead but similar to what you're saying like especially the later half of radiohead's records it just seems like a radiohead record so it's very much tom focused and where his direction was going and if radiohead just kind of like goes along with it is a different story but i liked it i'm not gonna lie it was the first time i ever listened to it was today i'm like oh this is cool um but before the pandemic i saw tom york play 
the observatory um state theater type venue here in san diego and he dropped a solo album again second his second solo album um actually dropped under his name and it was the same thing it was like the same type of music very instrumental like weird beats off track kind of like a I don't know, just different sampling and so forth. And so I was like, okay, I think I just like Tom York. So anything he does, I'm down for. Whether it has to be called, you know, Adams for Peace or his his name or Radiohead, it kind of all just ties. I mean, at the end of the day, like he is Tom York from Radiohead. So it's going to sound like it, right? So I have a thought. This is a general side project, but it applies to this. These side projects, are they, what outweighs one more than the other? The fact that they already have a massive fan base they have a leg up or are they handicapped because of that because people are expecting something and there's a good chance they could be let down you know what i mean it's just one of these dynamics that like it's a huge risk for an artist to take especially a guy like tom york Mm -hmm. and i think he's probably if i was him i'd just be like i'm gonna do what i want you know what i mean it's a good question and i think it's case by case right i think it depends on if you're like in the case of Head Automatica, Daryl Palumbo, you're okay with him being completely different than what Glassjaw sounds like in that aspect. But with another artist, you might not be. You might be like, nah, give me more of the same, but with different people, <laughs> you know, under a different name. I like, I like the same. So, and there are probably people that were like that with it, with that too, with with uh you know them crooked vultures you're like okay this is more super group than side project but it is side project because they're all doing other things that are, they're bigger for and you know it does it didn't sound like led zeppelin or foo fighters so you know if you're a queens fan you're like yeah i'm in this is great right. <laughs> so i don't know it depends it really just depends yeah. yeah i think it is case by case because it's like daryl it's a great example like glass john head on a mac are polar opposite types of music so it's almost like if he had this material for Head on a Manica and presented it to the guys in Glassjaw, and they were like, dude, fucking no way. Well, then he has to make a side project. It's like he right. wants to get it out. If I was an artist, I'd want to get it out somehow. Dashboard confessional, ring a bell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For Tom York, on the other hand, though, it gets complicated because it's like, like I just said, like this solo album and Adams for Peace collectively sound like Radiohead albums. So is he pissing off the band at this point? Like, hey, this could have been a Radiohead album. Or are they like, hey, we don't like those songs. Go make it a solo album. Or side project. Yeah, I so many questions. Like I, we gotta know Tom. Come on, the pod. Yeah, Tom, you can come on too. Open invite. He's a B lister. We can get him on. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, maybe not now. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Obviously kidding. We're Uh, always joking on you. He's he's, out of our league, bro. He's out of our league. (laughs) Right now. Right. Just right now. All right. Ready for my last one? I think we're only gonna do two each, right? So this this band when this band became a thing its front man said my other band is now my side project this is my main focus his other band was one of the biggest new metal bands in the history of, of music we've talked about them before nate and i ride for him pretty hard west borland i know we're talking about west borland and i'm not talking about big dumb face I'm talking about Blacklight burns fuck yeah. yeah i knew nate would be down on this one yeah. <laughs> Uh, Blacklight Burns, Wes Borland's uh, uh, project that he came up, uh, put together around the early 2000s when there was some unrest with Limp Bizkit. Uh, he, he'd been hanging out a lot with like Danny Lohner of Nine Inch Nails, Touring Fame, um, a few others, Josh Freeze, who he's boys with still to this day, I believe, and uh, started kind of writing his own solo record, got input from those guys, 
got input from Trent Reznor and put out Cruel Melody in 2007, I believe. Yep. June of 2007. So that record is the one that I listened to and spent the most time with. Listen to again today with my wife while we were making dinner. She wasn't, she wasn't opposed to it, which was kind of cool. I was like, that's a win. Kinda, that's a win. Kind of in this win. Yeah. It's, it's a little heavy. It's a little dark. It's not super happy, but, and she's not typically down with that stuff, but she was like, the, the music of this is actually really good. And I was like, I know. Cause it's kind of a nails knockoff. I don't know. In the moment, I didn't think that, but listen to the opening track, Mesopotamia. I'm like, this sounds like a Nine Inch Nails record. Like the distorted guitar spots. And I'm not shocked that Danny Loner and Josh Freeze had a hand in this. You know what I mean? And, and that he like leaned on Trent a little bit to ask us, how do I be a front man type stuff? So that record's the one I spent the most time with. He's put out a couple others. The cover album I never listened to. And then the one that came out after that, I didn't I didn't really like. But this this record is fucking great. Cruel Melody. So and it's funny, he did say when when he left Limp Biscuit uh, in the early two thousands that Limp Biscuit's my side project. This is my main my main deal now, which is kind of funny because he left this like three times to go back to Limp. So <laughs> he didn't mean it, obviously. So dumb question. Or maybe it's not dumb. I'm trying to. It, it, he sings in this too, right? He's the he's the front man. He's yeah. the front man. Interesting. I've never heard them. I know the name. Never heard them. I think you'll like Cruel Melody. I, I like. I think you'll like it. But and I don't always say that about stuff. Like, oh yeah, twenty. You'll like this and that, whatever. Now this one, I think you'll actually like. Yeah, looking at the similar artists on Spotify, I can kind of pin it in my head that it's in that nails uh, filterish, maybe. Feel like yeah. that that type of similar okay. Okay. similar yeah i'll have to check that out i'll check them out yeah i think you're right it's kind of like the goth gothy type thing which i mean borland with the biscuit he was always the, the goth one right with like the makeup and like just like the weird weird shit but awesome pull huge fan of the band and like you said tone like we both were and i still am especially this record i ride for this record all day and interestingly enough like like you said uh josh freeze was on here what was the other guy you said? Danny Loner. Danny Loner. I always go by his like his uh his stage name, which is like the Ren Holder, which is like a, a perfect circle yeah. song. Yep. Right. You know what band he was in, Nate? What's that? Danny Loner. You know what band he was in? Um not sure. Methods of Mayhem. He was in Methods oh, of Mayhem? Shit. He was in Methods of Mayhem. Uh, we Damn. talked about them. We talked about them pre doing this as a joke. That's fucking yeah. great that they made their way in. That's <laughs> who you know, not what you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, man, I love this band, and I love. I saw them twice for this tour, or I think yeah, twice for this touring cycle. You're probably both in New York, like, right? Uh, Florida, actually. In Florida, and okay. both were like it was like a bar. It was like you know, hundred or fifty cap, like tiny, but it was cool. And I remember going because I was obviously a biscuit fan, so I was like, oh, cool to see West play a bar down the street from where I live. Great, and I like really liked the band, so I was like, oh, sweet. And then when I read up on what you just mentioned like all the people on the album like oh this is actually supposed to be a super uh, super group yeah kind of but doesn't sound like they had the availability to tour on it so what was a bar show for me 50 cap could have been a super group theater type touring act if they or even arena if they wanted to keep it going and that's what the sound that's what the production sounds like that's what the songwriting is like i think wes has always been just a absolutely amazing musician carries limp biscuit gotta say huge fan of his work so when he finally you know ponied up and did a project that was just untouchable i mean i big dumb face i don't really know how i feel about that band but blacklight burns is just solid 
And I think it's because it's him, but he has, you know, those other people in the band, at least to record the album, to make it what it is. And so unfortunately they didn't tour with it, but um, with those members, but I still thought it was great. And I haven't listened to it in a long time, actually. I hadn't either. It was, it's still really good. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Big Dumb Face. That's an, uh, I'm gonna check. I'm gonna revisit Big Dumb Face, and I'm gonna check out Blacklight Burns because I don't think I've I've heard Blacklight Burns. I agree with Tony. I think you're gonna like it, man, because it was like a first listen. It's not like a mm, I gotta be in the mood. It's like it's just good. I think. But yeah, we'll see. and it's weird to hear Borland sing because you don't. Yeah. You don't think of that at, at all with his music, but he obviously is the front man for this band. A couple. Um, Funny tidbits. I told you that when he formed Black Light Burns, he was like, Yeah, Limp Biscuit's my side project. Well, he left to go back to Limp Biscuit in like 04, a couple of years into this, or a year into like the formation of it. And then again in 09, and then they, they put out Limp Biscuit put out Gold Cobra. Uh, so he's always he's always gone back to, to LB just because that's, I'm sure that's where the, the checks are cashed for the most part. Uh, but it makes sense. And around the formation of this band, Again, he's hanging out with Danny Loner, who who uh, tour with Nine Inch Nails a lot, uh, Josh Fries a little bit too, and they Trent asked him to be a touring guitarist for Nine Inch Nails, so he was almost a touring guitarist for Nine Inch Nails, and also Maynard and and the company asked him to tour with a Perfect Circle around that time too, and he turned both of them down to do this. So think about that for a second. Like Borland is a touring guitarist for those two bands, like shit. Wow, that sounds like a Dave Grohl turning down Tom Petty for Foo Fighters type situation, right. but yep. maybe didn't play out the same, but could have. I feel like this was a timing thing. 07 was a weird year to put out something like this, maybe. But man, he would have been killer in Nine Inch Nails. That would have been great. This makes you wonder, like, I don't know. I remember in the moment, like, Wes has Wes has a love-hate relationship with, with Limp Bizkit, but it makes me think mm-hmm. of, like, how many other musicians are kind of stuck in bands in that their only outlet is these side projects like Wes, he did big dumb face which is almost like a parody metal band if i remember mm-hmm. and then to do black black light burns it's just like it makes sense why he left clearly like the story plays out how it, it makes sense it story checks out and he was in a side project with his brother too scott i think for a hot minute around the same time so i think it was big dumb face he was in big dumb face with his brother okay maybe yeah. another one and it just it just dis- it like dissipated, and but that they've they had gotten back together too. Like not to get too into the weeds on Big Dumb Face because whatever, but uh, it's it to your point. It's a thing where like okay, I'm cashing my checks with Limp Bizkit, but I have other things I want to do. I want to like try different avenues and work with different people, and this was his outlet. And I mean, go listen to Cruel Melody if you haven't. Uh, I, I if one person listens to it, let us know. Like hit us up because it's a really good record. If you like, if you're into kind of nails and nails adjacent it's not as it's probably not as heavy lyrically as some of the nail stuff but it's um musically it's similar and, and really good especially more recent nail stuff like nails around this time with teeth and uh, uh stuff after that yeah i think black light burns is a perfect case study on again it doesn't take away from Limp biscuit and it definitely showcases what wes is capable of which is like he's an amazing guitarist mm-hmm. but he's actually a pretty damn good songwriter too you know so he if he presented this music to Limp Bizkit it just wouldn't it would, would never work so he's probably sitting on this like amazing music he's like shit I could just keep on stockpiling it or I could I could go for it so I think he kind of did the Dave Grohl Foo Fighter thing like I'll try it hopefully it works if it doesn't at least I did it and we liked it you know I think execution wise it could have been bigger had it had the proper promotion 
and infrastructure to support it. I think it actually probably could be an arena band, to be honest. That's how good it is, I think. Had they been all the able to get together to tour with the group that put the music together, I think you're absolutely right. Because totally. they did, yeah. they, hit a, they had a couple songs on on soundtracks, like uh, Underworld, the Underworld movies. Yep. They were on that. They were on a video game at the time. So, like, there was some promotion. But they, you know, the, the live show probably wasn't what it, he wanted it to be because he couldn't bring those guys with him. Yeah, you think he'd have, a, you know, all the money in the world to, to make it a success. But I remember reading something about Wes. And during like Limp Bizkit's like high period, he invested all his money that he was making. Like we just talked about record labels, not paying much. They were, you know, they were not diamond level, but they were making, they were selling some serious records. I guess he invested all his cash earnings into the stock exchange, which crashed in 01 with, with 9-11. He lost everything. That's what I read. Wow. It sucks, man. So, Damn. yeah. Because they were massive. Limp Bizkit was massive. He made some money yeah. there. Nate, give us your last one. All right, cool. I was going to say like, uh, Head Automatica was one of my choices, but I did have a backup. It's like an honorable mention, actually. Is um kind of goes into our dialogue on does this take away from from the main cash grab band or does it does it you know stray from it? And uh, this is a great again another uh, case study on how it doesn't play out for both sides. Uh, the band is Echo Brain. It's Jason Newsted of uh, Metallica, and uh, he started Echo Brain. In 2000, so it was actually when he was still in Metallica. I think similar to what we've been talking about on here, which is basically passion project, doesn't mean much. He's got some friends, going to put out a record, no big deal, maybe play some bars, whatever it is. Caused some pretty serious friction within the Metallica camp. James Hetfield was not a fan. Uh, he actually said, quote, when someone does a side project, it takes away from Metallica. It's basically saying, fuck you, don't do this. And ultimately... Uh, had Jason leave the band, quit the band. So clearly he was very passionate about seeing this through. And again, never really listened to it. Love Jason, love Metallica. Checked it out today. And it's good, you know. Uh, it reminds me of kind of a hodgepodge of like Queens of the Stone Age, to be honest, and Soundgarden. Kind of has elements of both. Definitely softer than Metallica. Doesn't have the metal roots throughout from what I listened to. And uh, it was good. I'm not really sure why James felt threatened by it. Uh, it definitely doesn't take away from Metallica from the listener. This is obviously my opinion. But uh, yeah, I finally checked it out. It's just one of those things like, man, I can't believe this bro almost broke up a band of Metallica stature, but ultimately just got them kicked out. And you know, they don't tour. This band, Echo Brain, is also broken up. So it was kind of, did it make sense? Did it work in his favor? I don't know. He's not in Metallica anymore. And probably like a little biggest nerd tidbit of the whole thing is the fact that it was actually recorded right here in uh, Encinitas in San Diego. He's still cashing those Metallica checks, I think. I think, I think we recently read that, so I don't yeah. think it, uh, it didn't hurt him. I mean, I'm sure he's living off him. When did he leave? When did he get kicked out of Metallica? He didn't get kicked out, actually. He actually, from what I've read, he quit in 04. 04, So okay. kind of like when they were making the documentary, Some Kind of Monster, and there was a documentary on how... So he wasn't part of St. Anger? I think he was, and he left. <clears throat> he left during I the mean, recording sessions. Really? I didn't. I, I no, he, be wrong. he he left before. No, because they oh, okay. they got the dude from um, Suicidal Tendencies, right? Robert Trujillo. Yeah. Good. Good for him for leaving before Stan Anger. <laughs> right. Uh, that I I kind of see both sides of it. I I'm not sure that I would be like fuck you, don't do it. I like I like James Hetfield, but kind of see both sides of that like yeah hey we're massive and 
this is there's a lot of money that comes out of the Metallica machine. If you there's been stories fairly recently about how much money comes out of the Metallica machine. So for him to be like you're taken away from that and that's affecting my bottom line, I could see why that might be a thing. At the same time, if you don't love what you're doing, you don't want to you want to do something different and try something new. There should be some room for that too, right? So I don't know. It's tough. Oh yeah. When you were saying that, Nate, I believed it because it's Metallica and you we know the egos and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, it caused some friction and he left. And that's that's what you're gonna get with a with a big band like that. I've never actually listened to this band, but I remember uh I do have and I probably still have it. I'll have to dig it out. Uh I used to have a Echo Brain sticker that I got at Bull Moose. We've mentioned Bull oh, wow. Moose on this podcast. Nice. So I'll have to dig through my nerdery. I think I still have it. I I don't know if I knew that he was in the band. It's a weird name. I mean, it's a, it's a bandy cap name. I mean, am I going to go check out yeah. a band <laughs> named Echo yeah. Brain? No. Uh, clearly, the answer is no, because I've never <laughs> listened to him. And you didn't. You you and I are not the only ones who felt that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> clearly. And, and also, Nate, you've brought them up before. Like early, Brandy. early on, yeah, early on, we we had a Metallica conversation early on, and I remember you bringing them up, bringing this, not not this whole story, but pieces of this story up. So, my my brain is like, I think I've heard this before, <laughs> not in a bad way. I left left some uh, breadcrumbs. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's weird. I mean, I was kind of I'm thinking about the West Borland thing. Like, had Echo Brain come and toured and played some small venue and wherever i was living at the time i probably would have checked it out more and definitely at the time but like you're saying like the the band i like is metallica so unless it is a, a live show uh, i might check it out eventually and here i am you know checking it out in 2021 way late and i thought it was good but i could see why it didn't work out maybe it just wasn't as solid and but james being like threatened by the music is unfortunate because it's clearly just someone that wants to put something out there and has nothing to take away from Metallica other than like we were saying earlier, like maybe touring schedules and contracts and opportunities that are going to be missed to kind of support this project. So there's always that too. That's what it is. Cause like the, the listenership, I'm sure there's crossover, but it's a whole different style of music, but I just looked on Spotify, 1200 monthly listeners. So it didn't take oh, wow. off. It didn't take off at all. Do you guys want to know how much Metallica makes a year? collectively as the machine yep 50 million nate you got a guess I'll say it's somewhere in that range too i'm gonna say yeah, 68.5 oh million, wow. million oh shit collectively a year and that was in 2019 so obviously 2020 i thrown out the window but uh yeah so i can see james hetfield's guy what are we doing here <laughs> Right. You want to go start Echo Brain? Where and in 2004 they weren't making 68 and a half million a year, but they're probably making 20 in 2004, right? I mean, at least. So yeah. Oh like, what my the fuck, God. bro? What are you doing? I'm laughing so hard because can you imagine that conversation? Like, yeah. so I'm trying to think. 2001 was that? What era of Metallica was that? 2001. Are we getting like uh, Load and Reload? Yeah, we got the Mission Impossible soundtrack. It yeah. was after yep. Reload yeah, before Saint Anger. Yeah, imagine that your your uh, your bassist comes to you and says, "Hey, I'm gonna start a project called Echo Brain." <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? What? 
And it, and it won't get in the way of Metallica stuff. We'll do stuff on the weekends, guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Nights and weekends. Uh, yeah, so I can see a little of that from James's side. We're like, hey, we're massive, and you want to go do what? Like, come on, bro, really? It's tough. I guess it takes, you know, tragedy to, to be able to succeed with something else. Like, Foo Fighters is kind of like an anomaly when you think about it, you know? Victim of circumstance, I guess. Yep. We didn't even bet. We didn't even shit on Lars in that segment, guys. Good job. I wanted to. My oh, tongue's man. bleeding. Sorry. <laughs> I know. Yeah, we tried really hard not to. Uh, all right. I think that's a good spot to stop, right? Yeah. So side projects. I got. I got a couple more actually that I didn't bring up tonight. So I'm excited to bring those up again down the road. But hey, hit us up on the socials uh, at Potty Slave on Twitter and Instagram. Email us Potty Slave Podcast at Gmail You know we're we're around. We love this stuff. Yeah, that was fun. And if you can think of some side projects that you either think we should deep dive in the future or just to check out, maybe you have some deep cuts. Uh, you know, post them on our socials. We'll have we'll have this episode up uh, on uh, on Monday. So appreciate everyone checking us out. Yeah, I could call side projects part two. Can't wait to get there and uh, get some insight from whoever's listening on stuff we made maybe uh, glossed over by mistake, didn't even see. So thanks for listening, everyone. Take it easy. Cheers. Peace, buddies.